Hello, I'm Katie and you're listening to Goodness Gracious Grief. Now, I want to start this episode with an apology because when coronavirus broke out, I didn't think it was right to be having these conversations. I didn't really know what to say or what to talk about whilst the world was grieving. But now that we're easing out of the lockdown, I think these conversations are more important than ever. Many people in the past couple of months would have been faced with sudden and unexpected death of a loved one. And many of those people would have had to grieve alone. If you are someone who's lost someone due to COVID-19, then all my thoughts are with you and your family at this horrible time. And welcome if you have just stumbled across my podcast and wondering why is this woman talking about death so much. And the reason being is because I lost my dad and I experienced a sudden loss and grief and it was a whirlwind of emotions from the highs, the lows, the anger, the blaming yourself, everything. And it's all normal. But there's certain conversations that we need to have about death with our loved ones so that when they do pass away, we know exactly what to do. And they're conversations I wish I had had. So today's theme of this episode is afterlife. I guess I kind of thought, do I believe in life after death? What does happen to us when we die? I went to my dad's grave at the weekend and I said a few things to him. But why am I saying a few things to him? Can he really hear me? Can I communicate with him after he's died? Or have you ever had an experience where, for me, it's white feathers. White feathers are so poignant in my life on certain days. When I really need them, they just appear. Or have you had it when a certain song comes on the radio at a certain time, when you least expect it? Surely they must just be coincidences. Or... Is there a deeper meaning? I also wanted to talk about Afterlife because I've been watching series two of Afterlife on Netflix. And if you haven't seen Afterlife before, then it is an absolutely brilliant piece of work by Ricky Gervais. Now, my mum has just discovered Netflix and she started watching series one, so she's well behind me. But she absolutely loves it too. Um, And she doesn't watch much TV, so um, I think that's a good compliment. But if you haven't seen it, it follows Ricky Gervais's character Tony, whose life is turned upside down after his wife dies from cancer, breast cancer to be precise. And each episode always starts with a message his wife has recorded for him. And it takes you on a journey through Tony's life. And he even contemplates taking his own life, but instead decides to live long enough to punish the world for his wife's death by saying and doing whatever he wants. Now, 
I know it might sound a, a bit depressing, but but stick with me. It's set in a fictional town of Tadbury, which is actually filmed very local to me in Hemel. And Tony tries to become a better person. And, and although I know it's still sounding depressing, it is absolutely hilarious. One minute you're welling up and the next you're in fits of giggles. But oh my gosh, it is so spot on with grief. And that's why I love it so much because it's so relatable. There was one particular moment in the latest series where Tony is talking to his friend Anne and he says, if she asks you to dance, just dance. And this just made my grief appear out the cracks. I was trying to hide the tears from my other half in the corner. I don't think so. But I just thought about my dad and how I wish I'd just gone to the pub for my full fat Coke as he used to order me. Just that one extra time. That one time where he asked me and I probably made up an excuse because I couldn't be bothered. How much do I wish I'd done that one more time? That really hit me. So then I started thinking more about afterlife. I was looking through the web, reading so many articles and discovering so many theories. But it wasn't until a couple of weeks after I started searching that I came across Claire Broad. Now, Claire is a medium teacher and best-selling author. And you know, sometimes you just know. I was like, this is the woman I need to speak to. So I got in touch with Claire and she got back to me and I had such a fascinating conversation with her. I can't wait to share it with you. But my first question that I asked Claire was what was your first encounter with life after death? So I was very little, actually, very, very young. Um, In fact, around the age of two, my mum says that I used to stand and point to a man in my bedroom that she couldn't see and I would be saying in, in you know in toddler talk you know man man so it, it kind of started from very young but when I was four years old I was standing in um, Richmond Cemetery I was playing uh, with a vase and some water and stones because my nan and my mum were there tidying up my granddad's plot and he died about a year before and all of a sudden, I felt him coming around me. I could feel his personality. I just knew it was him at the age of four. didn't have any concept of death or dying, no knowledge of an afterlife. I wasn't brought up in a religious household. Um, I, just, I just accepted my granddad was there. And I could hear him talking to me. And he was saying, Claire, tell Nanny, granddad says I love you, Ive. Uh, but I was so happy playing, I ignored that um, call to tell my nan this. And I'm, and I'm just thinking, no, I'm happy I'm playing. I don't want to say that. And so it was coming even stronger, like this persistent urgency. Claire, tell nanny, granddad says, I love you, Ive. So uh, eventually I stood up. I shouted across to my nan what I'd heard. And my nan and my mum, I can remember standing at a gateway looking absolutely gobsmacked at each other because my nan always went by the name of Connie. She didn't like the name Ivy because she it reminded her of poison ivy. And I obviously called her nanny and my mum called her mum. 
So the only person, and I didn't know this until I got older, the only person that called her Ive was my granddad. So there was a real poignancy in that message. And my nan said to me, she just knew, especially coming out of the mouth of a babe who didn't have any idea really why I was there, uh, yeah. you know, that, that my granddad is, my granddad was close. So for me, it's been part of my life, just a very natural part of being in this world, nothing spooky, um, but that I, I kind of had from a very young from a very young age the knowledge that life went on. And that, that's what I was going to say. Most people would be frightened about the thought of seeing a ghost. Um, and you mentioned you used to see a, a figure and a, a man. I, I'm not sure if I've seen a ghost. I've got this memory where I think I saw one, but it was so long ago, I don't know if it was a dream or not. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. And now, personally, the thought of, of seeing a ghost does petrify me a bit like I don't like being in the house on my own I don't like it when it gets dark and I can see out the windows that that really frightens me how did you kind of overcome that well I mean from a tiny age I had no idea it was just a natural occurrence there was no fear because I didn't know what to fear when I got into teenage years I was frightened when I used to see because I what you've just referenced there was that I used to see um, a figure standing at the end of my bed extremely tall watching over me um that was very frightening and by then I'd watched Hollywood movies and all the Hollywood culture had got into my head you know the horror movies like you're saying looking out the window at the dark and all of that that's all a conditioning Mm. um because the actual experience although when I look back now you know obviously made me jump I wasn't expecting it the actual what happened to me was nothing bad so but of course our imagination runs away um, and so I was very frightened of it. Uh, I was having all sorts of experiences in my teenage years up to early 20s. And in the end, um, a friend of mine said, would I like to go and see a medium? Uh, and I was intrigued because I'd been having a lot of experiences. And I went along to see her and she told me everything that had been happening. Um, and she said to me, come under my wing, I'll, I'll help you understand what's going on. And so from then on in, under her guidance, um, being able to understand this properly took away the fear. It, it's the ignorance and, and all of the sort of imagination and stuff we see in culture and, and the fear we're fed through religion that makes us frightened of all this stuff. When you start to understand it's consciousness that exists beyond the physical body, you can look at reality in a different way. It doesn't have to become spooky anymore. You've had quite an extensive career outside of this. You worked in the corporate sector, um, but then you made the decision to focus solely on mediumship. And now you do this full time. And I mean, you kind of work across the world, don't you? What? When did you make that that shift? Well, it wasn't a conscious decision. It wasn't something I tried to do. I worked in advertising. I worked for Disney for years. Um, I was sitting at a high level in, in the corporate environment and I all the while was just learning and training and trying to understand what was going on with me in this respect, you know, mm. uh, helping people where I could, but not doing it as a living. I had my children. And when I was at home, people started to say to me, whilst they're in bed asleep, would you do me a reading? And uh, so I just was doing it for free, just helping some people out. They, you know, they were going through grief. They'd had a loss. We were just like, yeah, let's see what happens before I knew it. I had people knocking on the door, people bringing me gifts, people asking me if I'd take bookings, and it just snowballed. And so I realised um, 
you know, that I wasn't going back to the corporate world, that there was a huge need that from the emails and the replies I was getting from people telling me that I had changed their lives, I'd helped them heal or move through their grief and that they were able to live again now. Um, that was the, the catalyst for me. I just thought I, this is where my time spent best. And it just it just took off. I mean, it wasn't something I tried to do. It just took off. And the people that are getting in touch with you, are they doing so because they've made contact with someone or just because they're in, intrigued? What What's the main reason for people kind of seeking your advice and your help? Well, I don't do things like future predictions and psychic predictions and all of that. That's, um, you know, the practice that I have is a therapeutic practice. So most of the people that seek me out are people that have had a loss, um, that have had time to get their head around that fact. Um, so they're not raw, because I have about a two-year waiting list mostly, um, but that they want to then um, see if they can explore the afterlife for themselves and, and see if there's anything in all this to help them with their grief. Um, so mostly it's people that are um, have a belief in an afterlife or want to know if there's something more to it. And they've had a loss and they're looking for some therapeutic, um, thera- you know, sort of benefit to coming to see me. Yeah, may- uh, maybe they could be missing someone so much that they're kind of seeking a way to get in contact with them again. Would- I think I think we all miss those that we love. It's not the same, is it? But most people are, I think there's a cultural um, perception out there that people that seek mediums are vulnerable and they're, they're desperate and they're, you know, seeking help. from an unhealthy mindset my experience is the opposite of that I I find that the general public are very intelligent they're not willing to be hoodwinked they're coming in quite aware that there's fraudulence out there um, and they're coming with a question in mind and like I said it's not like they're getting hooked into some phone line that they're coming back to all the time being told about the futures it's not that kind of experience anyway no, and I imagine you've had your, your fair share of people throughout your life who have kind of been sceptical about visions and, and ghosts and, and the afterlife. How do you kind of deal with, with them when they're they're so kind of put off by what you do? Well, I mean, I can promise you there's nobody more sceptical than me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'm my harshest critic. And in fact, that's the reason why um, in my but what the dead are dying to teach us, I had absolutely um, made sure I connected with all of the scientists um, that are out there to understand what do we know about consciousness? What do we know about afterlife science, death experiences, past life memories in children, psychic ability? Is there science? There is so, uh, there is so much research available now on a scientific front that I now get to that point where if somebody is saying to me they absolutely know it's not true, I just know they're not very well informed. I think the the most um, intelligent answer is, well, we, we can't scientifically prove it, so it comes down to personal experience. But there is so much scientific research. There are now so many practitioners out there being studied. And if you put together the amount of experiences over millennia of people reporting seeing apparitions and, you know, having contact from loved ones and receiving signs and all this kind of thing. You know, it's it's stacked so far in favour of um, 
I just get to the point now it's kind of water off the duck's back. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you mentioned signs there. And I mean, I, I'm really kind of undecided. I'm in the middle on this. Um, so there's certain things like I always find on certain occasions, certain days that mean something to me, I always come across white feathers. And that's been a, yeah. a big part of my life. It, what, what's that connection? Is that something and someone telling me something? Well, I mean, I used to be very um, sceptical of signs myself. I used to explain them all away. Um, and then the signs were becoming so um, in my face <laughs> and so unusual that I, in the end I had to understand that signs are real. What, why, feathers, very common. Uh, so I asked the spirit, well, what is that? You know, because a lot of people report seeing robins after somebody passes or a particular bird if it's not a robin. Others report white feathers, um, you know, but there's many signs. It can be anything. It can be music, a certain song that's poignant. Um, but uh, the spirit world told me that what happens is it's not like the spirit's in the bird, you know, or the spirit person has put the feather there. It's that the feather appears or the bird appears and because they're close to us, they draw our attention to it. And then we can feel that connection there with loved ones or spirit guides trying to just gently nudge us along, basically. Let us know we're being supported. Um, and I've now had experiences where literally feathers have appeared from under my hand from nowhere. Um, so, you know, it, it, once you start paying attention to the signs, it's amazing how many you realise are actually there. Okay. And we can we can explain them away to the cows come home, you know, but normally what happens, I find, like you're saying, you recognise there's a pattern. So at a time when you need it in your life, there it is. Absolutely. Or, you know, when somebody's lost someone, there it is. And it's the feeling that comes with it that you have to pay attention to. So while I was on holiday recently, I became um, a bit addicted to a TV programme. And now I'm, I'm not sure if you, you're going to know what it is, um, but it's an American programme. It's a guy called Tyler Henry and he goes around and oh, visits yeah. celebrities. I became a bit addicted <laughs> to that. And that probably kind of prompted me to search a bit more into this. Um, but... I, I just became really intrigued in the afterlife. And obviously, I've had a loss myself, so that sparks interest. But there's a couple of things that have happened to me, and I've, I've never, ever mentioned this to anyone, like not even my mum. But I'm really intrigued by kind of deja vu is one, and spirit dreams in particular. And is there anything that you can tell me about either of those um, or have you had any experiences or anyone come to you with, with stories of people have, who have visited them in a, a dream and, and given them a message? Does that make sense? Oh, my goodness, absolutely. It's one of the most common signs. So deja vu is different. Deja vu is, um, it's a, is a psychic. So there's a difference between your psychic ability and a third-party deceased disincarnate person communicating. We're all psychic. Um, in fact, there's much science out there now to prove that uh, scientifically we know, we know we're all psychic. Um, so the CIA, for instance, released documentation about um, experiments they had been carrying out when they'd been doing remote viewing and um, using psychics to sort of travel in mind to different areas and see what was going on. Um, but, you know, premonitions is another one with the work of Dr. Julia Mossbridge um, that has been very well scientifically documented. 
people that do have prolific dreams. And so deja vu falls into that category. It's where where the mind almost, Dr. Julia Mossbridge talks about the reality of time. We we experience it as linear, but actually time isn't linear. And so we can have this sort of almost like a time slip where it's like our consciousness goes ahead of itself in time. I know it sounds crazy, but she's got all the science. I'm not a time expert. And uh, so we can feel like we're experiencing like we've already done it before. But it's where almost uh, it's almost like we've gone ahead of ourselves slightly. Um, Hence all the premonitions and the science behind that as well. But with regards to spirit dreams. Um, that is absolutely, I um, call them night visions, uh, where the, the dream is so vivid and so lucid, where you're seeing a loved one appear in that dream. They normally have a theme. So usually that spirit loved one is looking very well, smiling, radiant, maybe passing on some kind of message that lets the person know they're okay. Or, as in my own experience, you know, my nan just gave me a kiss but she just absolutely looked absolutely radiant. And I could feel the kiss as if I could feel it for real on my body. Um, uh, you know, those kinds of visitations happen a lot in the dream state. And I mean, you know, I'm a bit of a geek about all this, but it, I, I believe it. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I believe it's because the brain we're in the sleep state is in an altered brainwave pattern. It's in theta and delta state. And when we're in theta brainwave states, we're super receptive to experiencing visions, imaginations, you, you know, that's where we dream. And so they can come into that because our mind isn't all in the way like it is usually in the alpha states and beta states when we're awake. So in my case, I I, I, I need to ask you this because I've been thinking about it for over 15 years probably longer but I kept, I kept when someone passed away in my family I kept having a um a dream but in that dream I kept running away from this person and the dream kept happening I kept running away and one day I didn't and this person just said one simple line to me and that's it I never had the dream again is that possible I'm, yes, I'm so absolutely. confused by it <laughs> no it's that kind of thing that's that that person is trying to let you know they're okay they're okay they're yeah. okay you know and you're and you were for whatever reason in your conscious mind not ready to receive okay. that insight yet but the minute you were able to feel strong enough to deal with the emotion that it would bring up mm. they were able to give you the message then that would help you let go um so it's it's once they've delivered that message, they don't need to keep coming back. They're not trying to, you know, yeah. they've, they've got through what they need to say. I just want to mention briefly um, your, your second book, What the Dead Are Dying <laughs> to Teach Us. I've watched some of your talks um, that, you, that you've been doing, which are up online as well. Um, can you just tell me a bit more about the book and all the research as well that you've put in there? Basically, I was told for 20 years that I would be writing by my spirit guides, spirit teachers, I was receiving messages, not just directly to myself, but through strangers who I never knew, who were, were telling me the same message over and over again for 20 years, that I had come to write books and that I had a message that needed to get out there to teach people who they really are and to help them understand more about reality and life after death. So, but 
when I wrote What the Dead Are Dying to Teach Us, I wanted to make sure that I wrote this book in a practical, down-to-earth, applicable way, not in a way that, you know, seems all far out there and unbelievable, because, as I said at the start of this interview, you know, my experiences with the spirit world have just been just another part of everyday life, nothing spooky or, un- you know, it's not, it is unusual, but it doesn't have to be scary. Uh, it's empowering. So I wrote a book that basically had seven lessons in it that I've learned over my lifetime that are really empowering, uh, you know, that you are spirit, that nobody dies alone, uh, that death is an illusion and that um, that you, you, you are supported, you don't walk alone and that love never dies. And if you ask your loved ones to come near you, then they will answer you because you, you've given them permission to. So it was a book full of these lessons, but I wanted to make sure it was also um, strung together with the research of the scientists out there. So I uh, had um, Dr. Helene Wabe, who uh, uh, kindly contributed to the book, showing how they uh, that in the States they're working on the genetics of people that have experiences like I do, and they found that, you know, it's an, um, an inherited trait. Um, and that, you know, again, like I said, with the work of Dr. Julia Mossbridge, uh, that, you know, psychic ability is being scientifically proven. Uh, but then also of, um, I had uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Lloyd Auerbach, who's a parapsychologist in uh, the States. He's also um, contributed to the book because he's done a lot of study on uh, mediums scientifically and the work of Dr. Julia, uh, Dr. Julie Bryshaw, sorry, of the Winbridge Institute, who has probably done the most stringent testing on mediums scientifically that's available now. And her method is so um, tough. Uh, I think people have a hard time picking holes in it now. So she's got to the point where she can say, I can't prove an afterlife scientifically. I can prove the mediums that I've tested aren't fraudulent. Uh, kind of that's where we've got with it. So basically, I've shared true stories of contact I've had with um, uh, loved ones. I've shared readings. I've shared the stories of people who are who have had their own experiences. I've talked about the spirit guides, uh, the angelic realms, and all of that that comes in uh, in around this who are supporting us. I've shared the science of, say, Dr. Penny Sartori, who's worked with the dying and noticed that when people are dying, they start to see loved ones coming in to collect and help them. And I've kind of strung the science and research together with personal experience to say, look, I don't want you to believe me. This is my story. This is my experience. This is the research I've done. You make your own minds up and here are some tips. I've put calls to actions in the book. Here are some tips to help you have your own connection so you can find out for yourself. Because I know I can't convert anyone. I'm not even trying. Um, mine's a message of hope and it's just keep your, keep your mind open and don't let anybody talk you out of your personal experiences because I know that when people lose loved ones, they receive signs, they receive smells of perfumes, for instance, coming past them. They, they have all sorts of sensations, feelings, lights going on, things that they know they're receiving from their loved ones. And yet they let the cultural you know, narrative that's out there at the moment chip away at their mind, telling them, oh, I don't think it can be real, I don't think it can be real, and, and robbing them of the comfort that it can bring. In your book as well, you mention earth angels. Can you just describe what an earth angel is to me? 
An earth angel to me is somebody who comes into this world with the, in, they're an evolved soul already. They've had, um, they have deep understanding that love and service are our highest callings. And the earth angels come in and basically help others find the light within themselves. So you might be talking, especially in these times, we could be talking about the NHS workers or the, um, you know, people like me that are bringing the light into the world through being brave enough to share their experiences, even though a lot of people might mock them or, you know, people that just give, giving people that are there for anyone with a lended hand. That's an earth angel to me. Of course, we have, you know, angelic beings and spirit guides and spirit guardians who are in spirit also doing that work and working with us and helping people in this world. You can't always see that help, but it's there. So my my final question, um, or my final thing that I'm intrigued about that I want to know is, um, have you ever experienced conversation with someone who has kind of shown signs of living a previous life? Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. I mean, in fact, in the book, I share memories of my own that I believe happened. Um, so, you know, I share a, 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 a dream that I had that was so, so vivid at the age of three, um, where I remember being stoned. And I, I would not have had that ability to even know that at that age, you know. So I can remember, you know, quite a traumatic death. <laughs> um so I absolutely believe that there is um, previous lives, previous incarnations. And actually, I share the research of Dr. Ian Stevenson in the book as well, because it, he studied children who remembered past life memories. And he went and um, literally found all the got the information from them and then literally found all the people that were involved, went back through medical records, even found the people that the children were describing and how they passed and everything all tallied in. So um, there is, there, I think there is quite strong evidence to suggest that the universe is multidimensional, I believe. Time doesn't behave like we think it does. And that there is a lot, maybe simultaneous experiences going on. Who knows? I, I don't have the answer. All I know is none of us do. <laughs> and just to finish, so what do you think happens to us after we die? I believe that it's just a continuation of life. In other words, that we are a physical being at the moment, but we're not just a physical being at the moment. We are consciousness. And it's the consciousness that continues on after we die. Now, that sounds really unbelievable if you come from a viewpoint of materialism, which says that, you know, the consciousness arises from your brain. But actually, medics have been working with people that have had cardiac arrest, like the work of Dr. Sam Parnia, um, and they have discovered that people actually report conscious experiences, even though the medics have clinically called death. Um, and because we've got defibrillators now, we can bring people back. These people are reporting these experiences. Um, so I believe it's it, from what I gain from spirit communications and the readings that I do, they they show me, the spirit people show me that it literally is like a, a, a going to sleep in one world and awaking in the next is as easy as that. Death itself is easy. The dying process can be a struggle, but death is nothing at all. And it's, it's, it's simply a continuation. Just like when you go to sleep at night and you go into the dream state, you know, 
we think that's all just imagination and it might well be, but it's a reality that we are in that is half of our life spent in a completely different reality that we just move into seamlessly and painlessly. And that's what that is what death is to me. And in fact, I love the quote that I put in my book that Steve Jobs said, because as he was dying, he he just before he took his last breath, he just started saying, Oh wow, oh wow, oh wow. And for me, that's that, you know, from my experience of seeing um, spirit people around me and, and the insights I've gained from them, you know, it's the next grand adventure. It really is. That was Claire Broad, medium, teacher and best-selling author. Now, if you were intrigued by Claire's work, you can visit her website, which is Claire, C-L-A-I-R-E, voyant.co.uk so that's clairvoyant.co.uk and her book that I mentioned there is what the dead are dying to teach us which I am still currently reading and I'm sure I will update you once I finish as well but I don't know about you but I feel a little bit eased of my fear of death after talking to Claire I'm still a bit uneasy about whether I would want to communicate um but there's definitely things as I definitely shared for the first time in this podcast um but yeah there's certain things that happen at certain times that you could explain away and make up excuses but they're just very strange and make you question a lot If you've got any experiences or anything that you would want to share, please do get in touch. I am happy to have a conversation anytime. You can follow me on my own personal Twitter at Katie Eliza. I'm Katie Brain and you've been listening to Goodness Gracious Grief. Goodness Gracious Grief.